0: Hello, hello, hello! I'm your Electra hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz, and welcome to In Yo Mouth. Oh. In Yo I'm the queen of food, who's always Show. in the mood to lick it right, lick it good. Show oh, you how to. Oh look. God, that's good. I wanna know what you eat, from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. <laughs> <The> goosebumps. <laughs> Welcome back, folks. Once again, I'm your hostess with the mostest, Munoz. And how are you this Wednesday? How is everyone out there? Hi, it's just me, me all alone on the pod. <laughs> Well, let's get down to business. Happy National Pound Cake Day, y'all! Yeah, shout out to you, little pound cake, for all you Drag Race fans. And you know what? This got me thinking of. I really wish I had a penchant and the body to be an Instagram thought. Because listen, your boy Muñoz has some cake, some pound cakes, honey. Okay, okay. <laughs> I love a good pound cake I mean I can't tell you When the last time I had a pound cake was But I do love You know what my favorite Pound cake was And I bet you Some Some of you out there Can relate to this Entenmann's There was nothing like Opening A box Of like Entman's that white box breaking the seal and digging into that pound cake. Now I want some pound cake with some like really good coffee. Mmm, right? That and Entman's coffee crumb cake, even though that's not pound cake. But there was nothing like a fresh Entman's. And growing up in Brooklyn, where I did, there was an Entman's bakery around the block so we would get it extra fresh so happy national pound cake day y'all and moving on to this day in gay history in 1971 village voice columnist Jill Johnson comes out in her article, Lois Lane is a lesbian, sparking a controversy between feminism and lesbianism that results in various Johnston antics, including simulating an orgy during a panel discussion moderated by Norman Mailer. All right. All right. Shout out to you, Jill Johnston. All right. And this one was for all the ladies out there. Yes. So I'm coming to you today solito on the pod because I thought it would be really interesting to talk to you about reservations. And I'm not talking about Native American reservations um, that are slowly dying. We're not even getting that heavy, y'all. And I'm not talking about human reservations, you know. I am talking about restaurant reservations. Now I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, "What the fuck? Like what what is this topic?" But if you have you ever really thought about reservations and where reservations come from and why we make reservations and why there was ever a need to make reservations and I this all just came out of the other night we went uh out to a fabulous new restaurant. Well, it was fabulous and not so fabulous at the same time. It's it's like the hot new restaurant in Chelsea. And I don't often talk negatively about, actually, I don't really ever talk negatively about places. But I we entered this restaurant, and it was so weird, and we were treated very oddly. And this is kind of, it does domino-affected Um into me thinking about reservations and why we make reservations. So here's the story: made a 8:15 re- reservation at this restaurant, and we get to the restaurant. Now it was me, friend to the pod, Cedric, uh, Liba Jr. He was on the pod, episode 80. 80- I think and his fiance Pierre who is Hamilton on tour shout out to you yes we know famous people here on in your mouth and Pierre's a cousin who is the Latina Marilyn Monroe giving you you know that hourglass figure um, mink yes real mink let's not kill the animals but it was a hand-me-down uh, mink cape uh, bleach blonde hair so You know, we all look nice. All the Latin people's out for a nice birthday dinner to celebrate Cedric. And we had an 815 reservation that I made. Now, little do you know about your girl Munoz is that probably the only thing that's my biggest pet peeve is being made to wait after you make an appointment of any sort. Right. And tardiness, tardiness and lateness, unless you keep me in the loop that you're going to be late. But if you just take it upon yourself to be late all the time, it really like grinds my gears. But so like waiting at the doctor's office. Also, my doctor's office knows not to give me an appointment that I'm going to be sitting there 45 minutes waiting at like, what's the point of making an appointment? What's the point of making a reservation at a certain time if you're not going to be seated at that time? I should have just been a walk-in. You know what I mean out there, folks? Do you know what I mean? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? So here we are, 8.15 reservation. We walk into the host, and he was like, oh, yes, we have your reservation. There's going to be a little bit of a wait. And I say to him, well, what does that mean? And he goes, well, it's going to be around like 20 minutes or more, and To which I reply, well, then what's the point of making a reservation if we're not being able to be seated at our reservation time? And he, like, didn't really even apologize about it. He was like, this is what it is. You're going to have to deal with it. Which... Irks me. And listen, I'm in hospitality over 21 years now, 21 years. So I am kind to my hospitality folks. I know what they deal with day in and day out because I, I am behind the scenes. I am on your side. But there is a point of ridiculousness here, I think, that it's like, oh, we're this hot new place and we're just going to make you wait, even though you have a reservation. It was like, well, no, um, Spending the money that we're about to spend on this very expensive meal, there, this, this is not a thing, not a thing, folks, for anyone, right? So I was like, all right, we're going to wait because it was freezing that night and there was nowhere else to go and we were there and he suggested that we have a drink at the bar and I said to him, his back was to the bar. I go, have you seen the bar? The bar was packed to the gills with diners and then other people waiting for tables, so it was like three people deep including the people dining. So there was no even getting to the bar. I'm a little irked, but I'm still trying to be nice. Folks, we did not get seated till after nine o'clock. After nine o'clock. And then upon seating, all right, the waitress was, shout out to you, Sarah, because she was stupendous. She saw that we were frustrated and she immediately just like kind of turned the entire evening around for us. Um, but in that mix of her trying to like turn turn our experience around, the Sommelier comes over with um, the bottle that Pierre had ordered, and he was like, Who ordered this? Now, once again, <laughs> what kind of way is that to approach a table? And it got me thinking, um, in hindsight, after we left the restaurant, Were we being treated that way because of the way we looked or was it bad floor management that evening and then the bigger picture of it all was reservations and why and why reservations are such a thing. Is it a status thing is it is it like you can claim uh, like oh I'm really important because I got this reservation at this really really nice restaurant that like is the new hot place to be Um, it's all really interesting. I thought. And so I went a little deep diving into the Internet here and I found this article on the Atlantic um, that the, uh, the, the Atlantic dot com that uh, Alexis C. Madrigal wrote uh, where restaurant reservations come from. And it's um, from 2014. And this uh, Alexis, much like myself, fell down a hole of where why did we start this tradition, and where where did it even come from? And I'm not going to bore you with uh, a shit ton of like history notes here, but um, she reached out to a bunch of her friends in the culinary world and culinary historians, and um, this woman named Rebecca Spang, a Cornell PhD, who wrote whose first book was The Invention of the Restaurant, went on to say that. Reserving a table is not so much an industrial age bolt on as it's a slippage from the older custom of reserving a room in a restaurant. As her book explains, 18th 18th C caterers either served clients in their homes or in rooms at the traitors, the first self-styled restaurants borrowed from cafes having lots of small tables in one big room throughout the 19th century many big restaurants continued to have both a very large public eating room with numerous small private tables and a number of smaller rooms that could be reserved for more private meals much much as some restaurants have special like you know banquet facilities, or special occasion rooms today. So, for instance, in Elizabeth Marbury's Manners, a handbook of social customs, um, which was printed in 1888, we find um, when, a, when a dinner is given at a public restaurant, a table can be reserved in the public dining room or private room can be engaged. Um, and that was a whole other thing about engaging a table. That was, that was some verbiage that was also being used before um, restaurant reservations, you know, were a big thing. Um, And so she goes on to say, It is usual to order the dinner beforehand so that there will be no uh, needless delay in serving it when the guests arrive. So, um, and then Alexis goes on, to ask why the practice developed you know and the answer was it boils down to sex and propriety and um rebecca says and i quote i only have an impression impressionistic sense of this no quantitative data but i have the strong feeling that restaurant reservations of the sort described as above uh, meaning what i just read to you are also the product of gender imbalance in American cities at the end of the 19th century. Comparatively, a lot of single affluent men who could not decadently invite single women into their homes, they therefore entertained in restaurants, treating the restaurant as a public extension of their home. Uh, See, for instance, uh, Walter Germain's The Complete Bachelor, Manners for Men, printed in 1897. The public restaurant or dining room is the place for a bachelor's supper when ladies are guests. A private room is not proper, and your guests want to be seen and see. The same text asserts all meals in a restaurant, unless organized on the spur of a moment, are ordered beforehand and everything including the waiter's tip, arranged and settled for. So basically they're prepaying and... Um, how fancy. I kind of wish that still existed, that you, when you made a reservation, everything was pre-ordered. So by the time you sat, they know what you wanted. And I think that would be a really cool concept to bring back. But he goes on to say, if you have not an account at the restaurant, pay the bill at the time you arrange the menu and reserve the table. So what we have in the 19th century is restaurant reservations as a way of hiring a cater. Caterer or being able to throw a dinner party in the absence of all the necessary physical and social accoutrements, uh, from the wife and the maidservants to cook finger bowls, fish knives for 16, etc., etc. And then I found this super interesting. Alexis, Alexis goes on to ask about the telephone and if the telephone played an important part in. Kind of the hype of a restaurant reserving and the hype of restaurants. And uh, Rebecca goes on to say, as for the telephone, my gut level feeling is that it per se didn't change much, didn't change much. But that its widespread use coincided with a number of pretty important social transformation, social transformations, such as the post-World War I servant problem. Too many new industrial jobs available, so it was harder to get people to work as servants. And some small but significant shifts in gender relations, flappers and career women. And with lots of men and women working in retail and clerical jobs, there were more important people, there there were more people, I should say, in cities who depended on restaurants. You know, like things like, that's when like the sandwich counter in a cheap department store or diners became more popular for at least one meal a day you know this is what this working class and everybody working across the board and gender norms shifting uh was creating so there was real change in the culture of eating out in the 1920s and 1930s but it wasn't driven by the telephone uh rebecca goes on to say it is my intuition as i briefly said in the last message that what you're really looking at is the emergence of widespread daily competitive consumption in the 1950s, and then its madestizing in the 1980s. Such social phenomena didn't start till after World War II, so but they were diagnosed um, in the 1890s, you know, and then just more and more so becoming. Part of mass culture in the 1950s. So interesting, isn't it? Like, who thought of this? Only, uh, Or who thinks of this? Only me and Alexis, apparently. And so we think of it because you don't have to. You know, uh, Rebecca goes on to finally say, uh, I would be inclined to say that the most important technological change in terms of restaurant reservations has been how restaurants reviews are written and Uh, disseminated Uh, without those 90 for 95 percent of diners at least would have little idea of where they wanted to go and one good review of course steers everybody who reads it to a particular restaurant where it then becomes very difficult to get reservations hence boosting its status Um, the logic of all that it must be good everybody wants to go there you know there's that famous sex in the city scene where they're sitting at that restaurant um, what was it called I, I forget uh, you, you all know out there that I am really not a sex in the city person uh, but I do know that scene where they're fighting with that uh, woman and they're drinking Cosmos waiting for a table reservation um, but how interesting is that how interesting is that so once again I think kind of uh, they kind of point Rebecca and Alexis kind of point to my fact of it kind of being a little bit of status um, you know status boosting and oh we got the we got the restaurant we got the restaurant reservation and we're eating here tonight but it's it's really really interesting and this just sparked this all just being sparked from the way we were treated at this one restaurant in Chelsea that's the hot new place. And I did, I wrote a strongly wor- worded letter, but I thought it was very, very clear um, just about the way we were treated and how it was such a shame because it definitely dampened um, the experience of the meal. And the meal was exceptional. And no, I'm not going to name the restaurants out there, you you people, right? Because I, I, that's not my MO. But I do want to talk about just this like reservation culture and the and the way some restaurants, some establishments feel that they can treat you just because of their status um, in the restaurant world or who they think they are. I know because um, I've made a bunch of reservations at Le Bernardin um, for people and for employers, uh, I've never been, but you know, La Bernadette, you call them, You they pick up the phone, they put you on hold, and I'm convinced that there is a manual for these reservationists to, to be like, okay, you pick up the phone on the second ring, and then uh, you greet them, but then you have to put them on hold for uh, like a minute, and then... In, and then you tell them that there's you ask them about their reservation requirements and then you give them the rundown of they the men need to be in coats and the women need to look like this and so on and so forth. And it's this like whole process. But I bet you like if I walk into a Dan, I am sure as hell going to be like, well, for all this that you put me through, my table better be ready and I better be sitting at 8.15 on the dot and not waiting 20 minutes. Like it's, it's a big, it's a big pet peeve. I think it's, uh, I think there's a lack of respect in it. um, You know, and, and I am not here for it folks. I am just not here for it. And I did tell this restaurant that it's a shame because the meal was so good. And, that waitress that waitress was so stellar and we we definitely tipped her and tipped her well because she did turn our night around. She was great, great, great. She even got rid of that not so nice sommelier and sent somebody else over who was also really fantastic. And which also goes to show you that you know the important part, waiters and waitresses and you know, um or if we're not gendering them these days, you know, our weight staff in general how much they play in the experience of the meal and how they can take a situation and completely turn it around for you um, good or bad really and the importance to stress that um, you know to treat your weight staff well and with respect and a little a little humanity goes a long way you know and that comes from both sides of the field here um, yeah and that's that's my take on reservations. I'm curious about how you all feel out there about reservations and and this reservation culture. I know I when I started telling people about this story and what happened to us at this um, restaurant and how I started to think I was like, oh, it, was it because we were we were Latin? We look like Latin people eating at a very fa- fancy restaurant. Was it that, or was or was it bad management? And then the difference between L.A. reservation culture and how it's uh, somewhat expected that you, like, are going to wait no matter what, if you have a reservation or not. And New York reservation culture where it's like, oh, no, honey, we do not wait. We made a reservation. You know, I made this reservation weeks in advance and we don't wait. And does that make me sound like an entitled biatch? Uh, maybe, but I don't think so, right? Because I'm not asking for any more than what you've offered me, you know? So, entitlement, I think not. Just, I think it's good practice to, if we're paying hundreds of dollars for a meal, to, you know, space your reservations out. Is that is that too much to ask? You know, hire. There are talented hosts out there that are career hosts and hostesses, host people, you know, and know how to do this and space them out and seat people. And if you're a little tight and they're taking walk-ins, they're like, well, sorry, folks, we have a reservation. We need this table back by this time. You're a walk-in. You know, you should have made a reservation. Um, how do you all feel about this? How do you all feel about this? I'm curious. I would love I would love to hear about it. You know, you can always write me uh, on at in your mouth, nyc at gmail.com or you can go to insta and twitter and tweet me or write me through there slide into my dms at in your mouth pod. i'd love to hear what you think and uh with that i think now would be a great time for my favorite part and your favorite part of the pod a little bit of Food news, Food, Food news Update! Food News Update! Food News! Oh honey, you ain't ready, girl! Spill the tea! Food Food news Update! Joseph Colombe, who opened the first Trader Joe's in 1987, has passed away. I know, womp womp. Not a very happy pod today. Sorry, folks. <laughs> um... Yeah, I just felt like, you know, giving giving Joseph a bit of a shout out on the pod because I'm a big Trader Joe's fan. PS.com, uh, we did, back when Marie was on the pod, we did this whole Trader Joe's, like, inside secrets to Trader Joe's. And, you know, if you buy something at Trader Joe's and you don't like it, you can return it. And I just had some of that... Uh, everything but the elote seasoning, which is supposed to mimic um, elote corn, the Mexican corn, it wasn't. It wasn't good. I found it pasty. But I'm going to. I don't go and return it. But um, you know, there were 19 Trader Joe's stores when colombe retired back in 1988. Um, there wasn't much more to say about this, but uh, he, the man, has passed away, and he's given us one of the major supermarket chains that I feel like everybody has come to love from tubuck chuck to all uh cauliflower gnocchi he this man created something much much beloved and so so large so I just wanted to give him a little shout out and a little moment of silence here on food news update Martha Stewart is hosting a new show that will make bakers compete in boot camp challenges. Yes. Could you imagine <laughs> Martha Stewart as your, like, boot camp sergeant? That would be ridiculous. Because you know Martha Stewart is not fucking with you. She's just not, right? <laughs> So apparently, food, uh, the Food Network just revealed to people that the station has finished filming a new reality cooking competition with Martha. It's called Bakaway Camp with Martha Stewart. Yes. So apparently, they uh, this is not like your standard reality baking show. It features six amateur bakers who go, in, who go on a culinary retreat with outdoor elements. Oh, look at that. Bakeaway Camp with Martha Stewart is unlike anything viewers have seen before, with Martha personally guiding and mentoring these home bakers through challenges as well as the most unpredictable outdoor elements. I could only imagine seeing these people like run up hills with, with like 40 pound bags of flour as Martha in combat boots, you know, is screaming at them. Or, like, if one of them, like, falls into the mud, Martha just presses her boot into the, into their face. <laughs> oh, my goodness. An air date hasn't been announced yet, but I am here for it. I am here for it. If you all haven't seen the Martha and Snoop um, baking show or whatever that's called, uh, where they just essentially get high and cook shit, um it's that shit is good TV. I am here for anything Martha Stewart these days. I don't know about you, but I I will be watching. Doctors warn people to stop shoving potatoes up their butts. <laughs> I am not even kidding about this article that i found on this brand new website called the takeout uh go check them out shout out to you the takeout but apparently the new york post uh reported that people are too embarrassed to seek medical help for hemorrhoids and they have been turning to the internet for answers and the internet god love the internet has been telling people to shove raw potatoes up their asses yep you know what For all the things that have been up my butt or that I've wanted up my butt a raw potato is not one of them <laughs> so Alison Robicelli who wrote this article shout out to you uh, decided to fact check this and believe it or not um, this this is true right she she goes, I am absolutely horrified to report that, yes, the Internet proposes that people put potatoes up their posteriors to palliate the painful piles that have proliferated from pregnancy, portliness, or pressure. So, <laughs> so the basic idea is that cold raw potato slices ostent- ostensibly soothe inflamed tissues around the hemorrhoid and that the astringent proprieties of potato can, in theory, relieve the pain and itching associated with the condition. Oh, my goodness, guys. Oh, my goodness. She goes on to, like, question uh, medical professionals that are friends of hers, and everyone's like, um, the medical literature does not support the use of rectally inserted potatoes for the treatment of hemorrhoids. Uh, it should be said that potatoes are non-toxic when used in this way per se. However, there is a risk of pain, injury to rectal tissues from the cold temperature, and the risk of an embarrassing emergency room uh, uh, an embarrassing emergency room visit due to a stuck potato up your ass. I mean, what? what is wrong with people what is wrong with people you know listen i've watched some videos out there i think we've all seen two girls one cup uh remember that but why why are you why are you shoving crazy things up up your butt up your butt Another doctor says, a cut potato does not have enzymes that reduce this. The moisture of the vagina and rectum facilitate decomposition of the potato. You can can put anything up your ass, but it doesn't make it a suppository. Well, truer words have never been spoken. Folks, just go to the fucking doctor and get your hemorrhoids taken care of. I mean, (laughs) that's what doctors are there for. And make sure when you make an appointment, you ask the receptionist, is it a real eight fifteen appointment, or is does that eight fifteen mean I'm going to be seen at nine o'clock? Because my my appointment maker at the uh, at my doctor's office, she's great. She's like, no, it's a real one. She goes, or she'll be like, no, come in, come in half an hour later. That's a really busy day. So, so yes, and with that, I think this is a great way to a not put potatoes up your ass and b to end food news. Update Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I know I ended food news update, but I'm I'm still a little stuck on people shoving potatoes up their butts to get to cure their hemorrhoids. What? What? Ever I mean, I guess we've talked about this with I guess Dr. Zagragon or maybe Back on another Valentine's Day episode where people are putting weird things inside them, you know, for sexual purposes. But I mean, what? Talk about homeopathic medicine, huh? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Anyways, I thought it would be a really great way to kind of wrap this uh, reservations podcast up. Uh, to research what are the hardest restaurants still to get uh, reservations at? And according to Open Table, uh, Open Table says that Sushi Ginza Onodera in New York City, uh, Atera, these are all New York restaurants. Coat is a steakhouse, uh, the Polo Bar. Balthazar, I found really interesting. And I'm curious if that's from, still from the sex in the city effect. Um, or not so I didn't realize Balthazar was still like the hop in place and hard to get a reservation at Danielle obviously yeah Danielle Balud's restaurant uh, Zenkichi um, lots of Asian restaurants I love that I love that for New York I love that for people yes Westlight a lot of these I haven't heard of either Lavara uh, El Cortez thank you for a Mexican restaurant on that list Open Table and then, according to the Daily News, Benu in San Francisco can't get a reservation. Chef's Table at Brooklyn Fair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Comey in Washington, D.C. Momofuku Co. in New York City. I didn't realize that was still a thing either, but apparently. I guess so. Oh, there's a Momofuku that, used to be, that was a gay bar before it was Momofuku. If those diners only knew that like the things that went on in that um, in that space before it was a Momofuku. Lord, if those walls could talk, right? Uh, and Naka in Los Angeles, what else? There's an advertisement. Uh, per se, I mean, that's like a $500 a head meal then. Lord, if, so, any, if anyone can get a reservation at Per Se for me and then pay for the meal, I will gladly take it. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Chef Thomas Keller and trying some of his food at an event. It was, he's amazing. Love him. Shout out to you. Hi. Rayo's in New York City. Yep. That's still a thing, right? Um, Schwa in Chicago. Tallulah's Table in Pennsylvania. Okay. All right. The French Laundry. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another Thomas Keller. Oh my God. Could you imagine being like head chef of like, or Thomas Keller? You're making bank, and your restaurants are still, like, hard to get reservations at. Uh, Traumeric. Uh what else? And that's it. That's it. That's it, folks. That is it. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to bring you a short little pod on this lovely Wednesday. The weather's getting nicer. People are going out more. You know, I also found, I was talking to my friend Michael on the phone today about this, and I also found that my friends and I are making more and more reservations. And I, I was like, did we cross a threshold as we're getting older that, like, oh, now now we're men of a certain age or people of a certain age, I should say, and now we, like, make reservations everywhere we go? It's, like, a thing. And, like, we're not even trying to be, like, fancy about it. It's just, like, open table points. And um, and we just want, like, we just want to be guaranteed a table because we're old and we just want to sit and eat and not have to think about it. How do you feel about that? Are you finding that uh, this is like a generational thing that like you reach you reach a certain age and you start making reservations? Or have you always made reservations? Or do you just fly by the seat of your pants and live dangerously and never make reservations at all? Or do you not go to fancy places that take reservations to begin with? Because I'm finding that I'm making reservations everywhere I can at this point, if only for the points And a guaranteed seat. You know, it's even so much, even so much so that at one point in my life, there's a restaurant here uh, in New York City called Empanada Mama. So delicious. Shout out to you, Empanada Mama. But I, it was a tiny restaurant and now it's much bigger. But I had the, this waitresses now the GM's phone number she gave it to me and i would text her because they didn't take reservations it was first comes first serve and i would take a text her 45 minutes before i wanted to come and she would put me on the list and then have my table ready now that is some shit honey yes yeah, like you gotta know people anywho folks um yeah have any interesting reservation stories let me know y'all don't talk to me and i know you listen out there because uh, I see the analytics you're You're definitely listening. Uh, and so and that's that's great. I'm excited about it. Uh, new things in the works for for your girl Munoz out there. You know, uh, if you haven't uh, if you like what I do and you haven't checked out my writings for West 42nd Street magazine, you can go to W42ST that stands for West 42nd Street dot com and Find their issue and read my monthly food article there. That's a lot of fun. I'm starting to do more with them. Uh, some brands are reaching out, so you'll you'll see some of more of that stuff on my personal Instagram at the kitchen gaily. That's gaily with a g, not daily with a d, because daily with a d goes d, not ja. <laughs> and if you didn't get that Liza with a Z reference, shame on you. Uh, I'm going to need you to go to confession, or at least put yourself in timeout for half an hour. And there's a new site about to go up, themunoz.com. That's the m-u-n-o-z.com. Check out what I've been doing. See, learn a little bit more about your hostess with the mostess. And the blog is yet again once going back up, and you can find that there, the kitchen gaily. Lots of new things in the new year. I'm consolidating things and revamping things and forging ahead. So. Talk to me, folks. Talk to me, because I'd love to hear from you. Ask me questions, even if it's not podcast related. Um, I'm here for you. I'm your go-to queer, you know, voice in food. So let me have it. Let me have it. Give me your opinions. And with that, like I always say, or like I've started to say, without you, I would be nothing, right? I do this for you, and of course I do this for me. But I'm really here for the people. So... Thank you always for your support, and thank you for listening to In Yo Mouth! <laughs>